Okay, so it's a real pleasure to introduce um, Mark Samuels, uh, who we've worked with very closely. He's the Managing Director of the NIHR Office for Clinical Research Infrastructure. So this is really an important role in, in developing the kind of infrastructure that I uh, alluded to in trying to fill all these gaps uh, that uh, hinder the progression of research. Um, and uh, he's going to talk about whether the UK can gain a competitive advantage uh, in biotech uh, in particular. So, Mark, thanks very much for coming along. Thanks, Brian, and good morning, everybody. Well, I'd like to start on a personal note to say that it's, it's a great pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, I always enjoy working with US colleagues. I spent a lot of my teenage time in the States with family growing up. Um, and medtech in particular is very close to my heart. I spent um, 10 years in the device and diagnostics industry before coming over to the government side of the fence. So on a personal note, this is a great passionate area of mine, um, as I'm sure it is for many of you um, in here today. So my purpose uh, this morning um, is to persuade you that uh, medtech is an area of major interest to us as a UK government funder of research. Um, and to talk, just to touch at the end a little on the competitive um, nature of the environment we're in. Does our investor investment make us more competitive internationally? As um, Julian and Brian have highlighted, uh, the context in which we operate as a government research funder is, of course, a political context be that over dinner at Chequers or, uh, <coughs> or indeed in Richmond House. Um, so uh, what does our Prime Minister think about life science R&D? Uh, so here's the boss. <coughs> and you can see um, from uh, the quote in the life science strategy that Brian um, introduced that clearly life, the life science is very important to the Prime Minister. Uh, and I can speak with personal experience. I was one of the contributors to the Prime Minister's strategy. Um, and uh, can say from first hand that this was, um, this is, uh, was and is a high priority for Downing Street. So, what about research? And again, as this quote um, highlights, research um, is a key element of the Prime Minister's strategy. And the next question, of course, is what about the NIHR? I don't know how well American colleagues... Um, understand the NIHR. I don't know how well many UK colleagues understand the NIHR for that matter. <coughs> um, so what role does the NIHR play in all this? Uh, for those who don't know, the NIHR is the, we are the health research system for England. Um, we are responsible for all the clinical research um, and how it is undertaken in the National Health Service across the country. And that, of course, gives us a far broader scope um, than NIH. Uh, makes the managing of that kind of a fun and uh, interesting challenge, as you can imagine. And we're structured in four parts. Uh, and uh, the part under the, my office's purview is the research infrastructure I'll touch on that only very briefly because Brian um, has given you a very good introduction to that. Um, here's another view of the research infrastructure along the lines that Brian um, introduced. Um, 
what you'll see from this uh, slide is that we cover the entire innovation pathway from first in human uh, right the way through to the very late phase research. <clears throat> and at the end of the pathway, because it doesn't just stop with uh, the research evidence, there's then the adoption phase. Um, I know from my years in industry how painful that can be sometimes. Um, and sometimes it also uh, needs evaluation by NICE, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. Uh, we work very closely with NICE. Uh, we seek to set things up so that we produce um, the evidence in a usable format for NICE. And I know uh, Morella Marlowe from NICE uh, is speaking tomorrow. <clears throat> what about biomedical research centres? Brian um, intimated uh, we put an enormous amount of investment in the biomedical research centres. Uh, so we invest, um, we have invested £800 million over five years in those. Uh, UCL is, of course, an excellent example of that. Uh, Cambridge as well, of course, has a very large biomedical research centre, um, also of a substantial scale, about £100 million investment from us. Um, and these are the best of the best. And uh, don't just take my word for that. Uh, we use an um, international peer review panel uh, to inform the decisions on that. So we know that when we invest major sums of money, as Brian has uh, alluded to, in a biomedical research centre like the one at UCL, that that really is the best science um, according to um, international peer review. <coughs> um, I'd just like to add two things um, to that. The first is um, Alexandra talks about industry being better at risk. Well, that might be an interesting thing to debate uh, because, of course, industry doesn't take unlimited risk. Uh, industry needs an element of de-risking. And I do think um, that one of the roles that government science funding can play is to take the very high risk in research the sorts of risks that um, no company would ever otherwise take. Because without that slight element of de-risking, it would be very hard for a company to justify in its business plan that it was going to invest in an area. So I think that's a crucial role that, as a research funder, um, we must play. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Julian's warm words about increasing the science budget, of course, music, uh, music uh, to all of our ears on that. Um, The uh, second uh, point I would add around our biomedical research centres is really developing uh, Julian's theme about getting people to mix together. Um, if you were to ask me, what has the NIHR achieved in the last few years? Um, what was it like before the NIHR? One of the key things is that we have um, forged, and in some cases forced, <coughs> but forged uh, strong relationships between universities and um, hospital trusts. Uh, the picture in the, across the country was mixed as to how closely hospitals and universities worked. Uh, but with our funding and our contracts, that those partnerships are very strong now. And um, <clears throat> you see that at Cambridge, you see that at, at UCL, um, and uh, people like Brian really are enacting the getting people to mix that um, Julian talked about. There is, of course, an added benefit in working with uh, a biomedical research centre like the one here at UCL, and that is that we, um, it forms part of a national, uh, a national health research system. 
and that means that uh, colleagues at Yale or from industry plug into national initiatives um, that extend far beyond um, the Bloomsbury, <coughs> the Bloomsbury uh, area. Uh, this is uh, just one example, uh, the bioresource, which is a, I know Brian's very heavily involved with, which is a partnership between UCL, Oxford, um, Cambridge, uh, Kings um, and Leicester. And it provides access to stratified healthy volunteers and patients uh, to study molecular heterogeneity of disease. These are people who have volunteered um, to participate in research. They've given consent for consent, uh, and um, the bioresource has both their phenotype and their genotype, because, of course, both of those are important. So that's one example of the sort of national initiative that working with a BRC um, plugs you into. <clears throat> um, Colleagues from industry, and indeed perhaps colleagues from, from Yale, uh, what does that offer? It offers um, world-leading science, of course, uh, in world-class facilities, but also access to NHS patients across the country. And speaking on a national basis, clinical research network that's part of NIHR that Brian introduced earlier, um, for example, had last year 630,000 patients on clinical uh, trials going through um, the NIHR system last year. In cancer, uh, one in five people with cancer in England now participates in a research study through the NIHR. So this is a major um, system uh, with which to engage. I think offers something unique. I, I spent a, an awful lot of time abroad on tour promoting UK PLC, including in Washington recently, Avamed. Um, and uh, <coughs> my experience is there isn't anything else that's comparable in terms of that kind of access to patients elsewhere. The <coughs> question is, of course, does that make us competitive? Um, because there is more to the world uh, than indeed the UK uh, and the US. Uh, one way of looking at this is to put piece of US innovation called Porter's Five Forces, which I know some of you will be undoubtedly familiar with. Um, and uh, <clears throat> if you consider the barriers to entry into this game that we're in, in the competition for a global life science R&D, um, then our £800 million investment, uh, the major facilities at Yale, for example, those are uh, tremendous barriers uh, to entry, uh, you would think. <clears throat> it may be, if you're in China, you don't think £800 million is a very great investment. That might be a drop in the ocean, of course. Um, so the other consideration is uh, the new entrants who've already entered, and if we look at the BRIC countries like China, of course the competition, as you know, is strengthening. So the rivalry uh, amongst uh, different countries in this area is only increasing. Um, <clears throat> it's certainly uh, prominent in a number of other European countries. Uh, France is... Uh, copied a lot of our life science strategy. <coughs> Those of you who like to read uh, French can uh, download that, and it's, uh, you'll see some similarities to our strategy. Um, and uh, Singapore has already been in this game. So the competition is, uh, is there and increasing. So another way of, another view of, uh, of this would be, um, could we take a, a resource-based view? Could we look at what, in other words, we can do um, uh, uniquely? if we uh, have the combined resources 
uh, and capability, scientific capabilities. And what can we do through a combination of scientific capabilities nationally that would be so unique it would be almost um, impossible to imitate, or certainly very difficult to imitate. Uh, some of that will, of course, be in your heads, your scientific brain power. Some of that will be in the facilities. Some of that will be in the access to patients we've talked about. Um, but I do think that a resource-based view is a good argument for collaboration of the sort that we have between Yale and UCL. Um, imagine the combined science capabilities that everyone has in this room, and imagine the combined capabilities of Yale and UCL together. Um, that makes a very formidable uh, set of capabilities. And indeed, it's a very formidable set of capabilities, not only for retaining the science base in both of our countries, um, but also for improving the lives of patients. Thank you very much.